0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined today by one of the usual suspects all the way in the 757. We have none other than Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, how are you, buddy?
1: Exhausted. Um, It's been a long day. We were just talking about that before we we started recording, but we got a lot to talk about on this podcast. Uh, NCAA tournament's over, at least in terms of as far as tech is concerned. And no spring game, which has caused quite the hubbub on social media. Oh, yeah. No, the people are uh, certainly. People are mad. (laughs) They're not pleased.
0: They are not pleased. I mean, I, I went in a little bit, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But first. I have to tell you guys that this podcast is made possible by the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. So be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, Ricky, I think we'd be remiss not to start on the hardwood. The emotions were up, the emotions were down. Honestly, one of the more fun moments in my time as a Virginia Tech fan was the Himalines near buzzer beater shot. Well, it was, you know, there was like one second left, but essentially buzzer beater shot to send the game into overtime, but ultimately foul trouble and and a variety of other factors got in the way. And the Hokies, they were bounced in the first round by the seven seed Florida Gators, who then were proceeded to get bounced by Oral Roberts in the next round. Shout out to my boy Frank Merritt, Oral Roberts alum. Ricky, I I don't know what your expectations necessarily were going into the game. I don't know how deep we have to dive into the game itself, but just give me your, your reaction, your rapid reaction to the Hokies, one and done in the NCAA tournament.
1: It's disappointing for sure. Um, Tech could have won this game. Uh, the reasons that they lost were pretty predictable if you think about it. Florida is the deeper team, and it showed on the floor. Um, I've been pretty complimentary of Mike Young over the last year plus now, and I still am. Um, But that said, I do think Mike pared down the rotation a bit too much in these last two games against Carolina and against Florida. I think they would have been better off getting some of those bench guys more minutes. I understand that you are obviously more confident in those guys. And, I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Tyrese Radford has had a hell of a season. KV Aluma was a second-team All-ACC player, even though he struggled a bit in these last two games here. Justin Mutz had a hell of a game against Carolina. Obviously wasn't as productive against Florida. But th- th- those are your three main guys. And they they need to be playing a, a, a large majority of minutes, clearly. But when you're playing them 35, 40 minutes a game, they're going to be taxed. And when I went back and watched the, the Tech-Florida game, because I wasn't able to watch it live, um, that's exactly what it was. Florida was just able to outpace them. Uh, it really showed up on the offensive end where I think Tech went something like th- four or five minutes without a field goal. Uh, And until Naheem Aline started to get going there in the last couple minutes, Tech looked like they were going to get absolutely blown out. And um, it's it's frustrating for Tech fans because Tech led for most of that game. So they clearly could have won the game, but they fell just short. And as much as it stinks for Tech fans, there's certainly a lot to be proud of for the season, and there's a lot to look forward to in the future, um, even if it means that someone is leaving the program, which we'll get into in a minute.
0: I mean, looking at the beginning of that game, Virginia Tech takes an early, you know, double-digit lead, relatively commanding, but there was a sense early on that, you know, when you can't miss, you're going to have to make something up. Hunter Couture was lights out from beyond the arc for, you know, the first 15 minutes of that game, 10 minutes of that game, whatever started off 3-for-3, three three, goes ice cold from the field from there. Unfortunately, it would Sabidi, 0 points, We know who he is at this point, right? He's been here for four years. Not much of an offensive threat. And this team kind of showed throughout the season. They go as Keve Aluma does, right? And I think Keve Aluma had to have a lights-out game. But unfortunately, he was outshined by Castleton, the the center on uh, Florida on the other side, who, credit to him— have you seen a more efficient big man from the free throw line in clutch time? I, I was waiting for the guy to miss, and it. it simply just didn't happen. Ultimately, the question about the distribution of minutes by Mike Young I see the calculus that he made, right? In the tournament, whether it be the ACC tournament or the NCAA tournament, there's such an emphasis on defense. And there were times when Couture was cold. Mbisabidi was just a non-factor, you know, in terms of putting the ball in the basket the entire time. You think to yourself, put Bamaseel in, please. I mean, at least she can give you some kind of a spark, some kind of a jolt. He's an offensive scoring threat. But I think what Mike Young was looking at was the deficiency defensively that Bamaseel provided wasn't worth the risk of taking Mbisabidi, one of the best on-ball defenders in the ACC out of the game. Was that the right decision? I mean, we don't know. We don't know what would have happened if he didn't do it. But ultimately, you know, Virginia Tech goes out and, and loses that game. in overtime. time, they put up a valiant fight. And I think we as Tech fans kind of need to sit back and just take it in, look at this team as constructed. And even though they're going to lose Joe Seal, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes, with the addition of Storm Murphy, this team is primed if they can stay healthy and keep the roster intact to have a nice little two-year run over the next couple of seasons. And, And the fact that Mike Young was able to put this program in that position so quickly speaks to not only his skill as a coach coaching up these players, but his skill as a roster building tactician and credit goes to Chester Frazier there as well.
1: Yeah. Mike Young definitely deserves a lot of credit for getting tech to where they are at this point. Nobody Within reason, really expected that. I remember we talked about before the season started. the The top goal was to make the NCA tournament, and we knew that that was kind of a lofty goal, but we knew it was possible, even if it wasn't likely. Uh, and that's exactly what they ended up accomplishing. And even though they finished the game on consecutive losses or the season on consecutive losses, and um, struggled with the COVID pauses. When you put everything in, in together in its totality, it's hard not to give them a round of applause for what they did this year. And like you said, Andrew, the guys coming back on this roster will keep them competitive. Tyrese Radford is obviously one of the better players in the conference. And in my opinion, he's still the best player on Virginia Tech's team. Um, KV Luma's, yeah, KV Luma's selection aside... I still think Radford is, is is my guy, is the number one. Aluma, he's a talented player. He's got some things he needs to work on going into this season, or excuse me, this offseason. Uh, Justin Mutz, I really love the energy that he brings as a scoring big, uh, someone who has that dog in him, and you need someone on your team that has that in him. Um, my my hope is that Storm Murphy's arrival will allow Hunter Couture to play less on ball, uh, I don't think that that's his strong suit. I think he is much better without the ball in his hands. So is Stormer
0: Murphy's a true one, right?
1: Well, he yeah, he's probably like it, it, on a good team. He's probably more of a combo guard, but in the sense that Virginia Tech really needs a dominant point uh, to run this offense, I think he's probably going to play the one every time he's on the floor, and I'm hmm. and I'm perfectly fine with that and. Hopefully, with Jalen Cone returning next year, um, you have Darius Maddox who can take a step up and, and all of a sudden become a, at least a rotational piece. You start to have at least what looks like a little bit of depth at the point guard position that doesn't include Hunter Couture. And I think that will make him a better player uh, on defense and when, in terms of, of shooting and scoring. So this team looks pretty good going into next year now we'll see if they can avoid the injury bug which they did for this year at least for the most part um, I'm assuming COVID is not going to be a thing next fall for the, for the love of God so it'll be a pretty normal season all things considered so I, I think Tech definitely has a chance to build on what they did this year and I, I think the NCAA tournament is the expectation now going into year three, considering what's on the roster, considering Storm Murphy coming in, and who knows, maybe they're able to add another player through the transfer portal, which I think would be a positive. I would, I would like for them to add another big man, someone who can play behind KV Aluma and, and, and perhaps take over Cordell Pemsel's role.
0: Well, you know, that, and that was certainly exposed, Ricky, and I was just about to get to that point myself. What kind of hampered the Hokies all throughout that Florida game. Keve Aluma was in foul trouble. And it seems like with Virginia Tech in the, the modern, you know, post James Johnson era Virginia Tech basketball, when first we had KJ and now we have Keve Aluma. But what's the reoccurring theme? The kid gets into foul trouble and the entire Virginia Tech fan base is like, oh no, what are we going to do now? We're going to be undersized. And I just don't think Pemsel is the kind of player that you want as your only option in terms of depth as a big man now. Attacking that through the transfer portal. How do you do that? Right? Because Kevin Luma is that established numero uno guy. And in this age of college basketball, not a lot of players are transferring to go be a, you know, a, a bench guy, a rotational player. So Mike Young, Chester Frazier, and the entire crew are going to have to be creative in how they go about that. But Jada is going to be sayonara. I assume BD is going to be sayonara. The Mike Young has gone out and said that if BD wants to come back and play, he can but I mean, I, I don't know where would Beasley's head at. The, the writing might be on the wall that if he does come back with Storm Murphy entering the broom. Beedy would be
1: definitely big... lose his starting position. Without a he doubt, he would be without a doubt. He would he would probably become something similar to what Devin Wilson became under Buzz Williams, where he is a a guard off the bench, who comes in and plays defense. Yeah, facilitator and, and
0: defense kind of guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, and he, he would definitely have a drastic loss in minutes because uh, Tech needs a bit more punch on the offensive end. And Wabisa just does not provide it. Um, but that being said, there would be a role for Beattie if he decided to come back. Yeah. I do think
0: that. And, and a lot of people are saying they're opposed to him coming back at all. I don't feel that way. If he wants to come back and he's willing to accept that role – Then more you don't just
1: jettison someone who has earned the respect and 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 the attention of the entire program and the entire roster. Like there isn't a single player on that roster who would speak negatively about Wabi Sabidi. He's a culture guy. Exactly. you You have to yeah, you have to have those guys. So if he wants to come back, Mike Young will make sure there's a scholarship for him and he comes back. Now he may not have the role that he had last year. But he will have a role in this team both on and off the court.
0: So kind of the way I'm looking at it, though, let's just say they add a slightly above average replacement level big man to come off the bench. Is like Sweet 16 a realistic expectation? I mean, I don't. I, it's so crazy that we're at this point with this team right now because, I mean, I remember just a few short months ago, you and I – you know, sitting in this very situation, recording a preseason basketball podcast, and we talked about expectations for this season, and you got you and I both pretty much agreed that we would be totally content, totally satisfied with that Buzz Williams year two, that NIT, sneak in, get a win, aim towards the future. Now, we're ahead of schedule, right? We're ahead of schedule on that. So has the bar been raised? I, I, I think so, because I don't think we could have anticipated that Kevin Aluma and Justin Mux would jump up from that mid-major level into the ACC and be able to make such an impact. And with the way that the shooting has developed, I mean, we didn't see Jalen Cohn for nearly the final two months of the season. I think we saw enough of the development of Hunter Couture and Naheem Alin to know that we have a logjam of seriously talented guards in this program.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly why Joe Bamaseal is leaving, but I don't, I don't think the expectation needs to be sweet 16. I think that's a bit too much. I, anytime you expect a program to get to the sweet 16, they're like a dark horse national title contender. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't put tech in that category. I think a fair expectation is you need to make the NCAA tournament um, at minimum. And the, the secondary expectation would be to get out of the first round. If they can do that, if if they go out there next year and they make the NCAA tournament, they win their first round matchup, they lose their second round matchup. That's fine. I don't think you'll find a tech fan. That'll be upset about that at all in terms of the grand scheme of things. Now, if they go out there and make the sweet 16, then, then awesome. Terrific. Right. But I don't think that's a fair ex, that's a fair standard for them to expect out of the program, given the talent on the roster. Um, we have to keep in mind that this is not you know one of the elite programs in the country still, and that's okay. Um, considering where Tech basketball has come from, you enjoy the journey, right? Enjoy the process and gradual improvement, gradual steps of growth. That's what you really, really want to see in a program like this where you're not just developing players, but you're building a brand that you can then take on the recruiting trail. And I think that's what Mike Young is doing. And you really start to grow that brand. If you can go to recruits and say, hey, look, I've made the NCAA tournament two years in a row and we won a game in our second year, things are looking up. That's the kind of message that you want to be able to send.
0: I mean, I think that – all Virginia Tech basketball can strive for, right? I mean, we're not Duke. We're not North Carolina. Nope. But yep, you look at the job that Tony Bennett's done at Virginia, that Leonard Hamilton's done at Florida State, and they've taken a team that was in and out of the NCAA tournament at the time they took over the program. And maybe they're bigger schools with more money and a little bit more clout on the basketball court. But that being said, you want to be a perennial ACC contender, you want to be a perennial tournament team. You want to have enough sustained success that the success, success is easier to sustain in the long run, and, and you really can build a true basketball culture. When Mike Young came in, there was certainly certainly uncertainty, I guess, I guess you would say, that he yeah. was able to continue what Buzz Williams did because with Buzz Williams, it was – It never felt like it was about Virginia Tech basketball. It was, as it was branded on social media, Team Coach Buzz. And we just happened to be the university (laughs) that he landed on to do Buzz Williams things and make the kids do yoga and (laughs) rebuild a program and make the NCAA tournament, go to the Sweet 16, and then sayonara, I'm out of here. Were we okay with that? At the time, I mean, I, I think that everyone appreciated what Buzz did. But, again, there were questions surrounding Mike Young, especially because he wasn't the high-profile coach that Buzz Williams was. But now, I mean, the NCAA tournament was canceled last year. So, technically, Virginia Tech's made four NCAA tournaments in a row. A fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's true. If the Virginia Yep yeah, I mean it, they were not national champions yeah. all year, I claim that. But uh, you, you just got to build towards sustainability in the long run. And that's where I'm at. And I think with the talent on the roster, you can do that. I think when I said Sweet 16, may, maybe I misspoke because, like you said, you, you can ask the fans of Illinois or Ohio State how hard it is to make the Sweet 16 in the, coming out of that field of 64. Anything can happen in the NCAA tournament. What I'd like to see, and then we can reass- we can reassess when we actually get to the tournament what expectations would be, a top six or seven seed, I'd like to see that improvement. I'd like to see things kind of end where they were where the trajectory was heading you you know around early January after that UVA win where you could look at a bracketology and they'd say oh Virginia Tech a four seed a five seed maybe, maybe a six seed I would love that I would I would love that and then from there you let the tournament play itself out but I do think the talent is there I absolutely think the talent is there and I, I don't know what Duke has coming in. I, I, I think Virginia will be able to build off what they've done. I highly doubt Georgia Tech will be the team that they were this year, given who they're losing uh, in Alvarado. I don't know if he's going to choose to come back. Actually, you never know who's going to come back and who's not at this point, given the free year of eligibility.
1: Especially this year, given that it's the, the year doesn't count. So yeah, yeah, you could have all but, sorts of guys coming back that you wouldn't normally expect.
0: Yeah, I mean, but, you know, but Carolina, you know, Baycott's out. They're they're having turnover there, a lot of attrition. So I, I think that Virginia Tech is absolutely in a position to compete at or above the level that they did in this conference next year. And with Storm Murphy coming in, if he can jump into that starting role and be a player who transitions from that mid-major level to the ACC level in the same way that Justin Mutz and Aluma did, I'm not going to say the sky's the limit, but the ceiling's pretty high
1: yeah and for all those tech fans that are still bitter about buzz um i'll scratch your itch for you Tech and went eight and ten this year <laughs> and they lost in the first round of the sec tournament so yes in, c- in case you're ball. still in case you're still a little heated about it you you can take some solace in that
0: and i know plenty of people are but hey i want to talk about joe seal real quick he obviously announces that he is going to transfer what's your take on that ricky i mean A lot of people, and I think you're in the boat, said, why not give him more minutes down the stretch? Why not show him that there is playing time for him, that he can mold into that role? Because now he's gone. And playing time, he had nothing but good things to say about the program, but he clearly cited playing time as the reason he's out of here.
1: Yeah. um, First of all, I don't blame him at all. I don't blame any kid who is – taking advantage of the rights afforded to him and through the NCAA to better their careers. And for Joe, it was clear that he had been frozen out of the rotation, um, which I kind of addressed already, but I I think that that was the bad, a bad decision. But I think the bigger thing that that, that's more frustrating with this and it's not this, the frustration isn't directed towards Joe um, who we've, Been fortunate enough to have on the pod. And uh, by all accounts, he's an outstanding young man. I think he handled his departure from Virginia Tech with the utmost class and respect. And I think there is close to zero animosity between Joe and Mike Young and leadership of the program. The thing that's more frustrating with this, and this is just kind of indicative of college athletics in general right now, um. For these high-level recruits, these high-level prospects, the pressure to assimilate them into the program and get them going in year one is astronomically high. Th- there is no room now for players to maybe be highly out of recruits, guys that are – there's no room for them to develop now because they can just leave. And I think it takes away a lot of potentially great stories for a fan base to really get themselves attached to. And it, it removes a lot of that emotional fan connection that people have watching someone grind from year one, one, three, or year four, if they stay that long. Um, you don't, you're not going to get that as much now. Now, Tech obviously still has Darius Maddox, and we'll see if for some reason Darius were to leave. I don't think that that's in the cards, but it certainly could happen. Um, like Joe, who was I think, universally liked in and outside of the program, to not be able to watch his career arc go up is kind of frustrating. And again, it's not directed towards Joe. It's just the... The, the situation that we are in in college athletics right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly ain't what it used to be. But to the detractors, you can't be so happy that Justin Mutz and Keve Aluma and going back to Zach laday and Seth Allen succeeded at such a high level and then call Joe Bamazil a traitor. It's just the nature of the game now. Play the game. If you don't, you're going to get
1: left behind. And that, that's where we are right now in terms of college And, and again these players oftentimes left at the altar by coaches all the time. I mean, coaches leave programs all the time. They leave for more money. They leave for more resources. They get fired and they lose their coach. All these things happen. So players should have every right to explore their opportunities elsewhere. And for someone like Joe, who um, has – played all of his cards right and has been a by all accounts a terrific individual he especially deserves the chance to go start somewhere fresh and as much as it sucks that we're not going to get to see him in a tech uniform anymore i do still wish him the best and and everyone should wish these guys the best no, no matter what happens
0: Indeed, indeed, Ricky. I wanna ask you a question here because I think that you, given your history, reporting for this team and for these programs might have a little more insight than me, a little more historical perspective and higher level of ability to take that 10,000 foot view of the situation. Virginia Tech women's basketball makes the tournament for the first time since 2006, get a tournament win, beating Marquette in the first round before ultimately losing to defending champion Baylor. Uh, In the second round, I mean, he lost pretty handily, but that's kind of the nature of women's basketball. The high seeds are a lot better than those middle seeds. So looking at the job that Kenny Brooks has done, how much did that take and where is this program at right now compared to where expectations were for Kenny when he took over that job as the head man for Virginia Tech women's basketball?
1: It's a good question. I think people expected Kenny to get to the tournament a bit faster And I think that that's probably a fair expectation given what he did at James Madison. Um, Kenny didn't inherit an entirely, he didn't inherit a bad roster. He inherited an okay one, Um, but he did make the best of that roster. I think in in terms of Vanessa Panusa, Sammy Hill, Reagan McGarity, he really unlocked all three of those players and allowed them to become three of the better players in modern tech women's basketball history. And they all will, hold a, a special place for people that follow the program closely, which there's a pretty dedicated group of donors and fans that follow this program. Um, but Penny would have made the tournament last year. And yep. I think, I, I, I think a lot of people forget that tech was pretty good last year on the women's basketball side. And this year they had to incorporate some new players and they, 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 they did return Elizabeth Kitley, and that was obviously a huge piece. Um, but getting Georgia more into the lineup and, 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 and getting her into the swing of things um, and obviously Asia Shepherds last year, I don't think that she's going to be coming back. I think she is aged out at this point. Um, Ken, Kenny had a pretty good roster this year, and I think he took advantage of it. They had a rocky start to the year, but they went on a six-game win streak. Uh, towards the end of the season, uh, won a game in the ACC tournament, locked themselves into the NCAA, and not just they didn't just get to the dance. They, they danced for two games, and that's been unheard of in Blacksburg for a very long time. You mentioned it, Andrew, 2006, and this is a program, mind you, that used to be pretty damn good. Virginia Tech women's basketball used to fill up Castle Coliseum. Virginia Tech women's basketball used to be one of the better programs in their conference. They were regular NCAA tournament appear, um, or, uh, participants. And for all sorts of reasons, the program went down a lot. And they were, they were one of the laughingstocks of the conference in the ACC for a few years. Things slowly started to improve under Dennis Wolf, but Dennis wasn't able to get them over the hump. And that's why Kenny was hired, because Kenny had legit NCAA experience. He had coached in the state, obviously he knew Virginia, he knew how to recruit this area, and he had shown the ability to not just get to the NCAA tournament but win there. And even though it took him a bit longer than some people would have hoped, Kenny has shown that he can win in the ACC, and I think that you have to be excited about this program as well going forward given that Elizabeth Kitley was a sophomore this year and George Moore was a freshman
0: yeah that, it's definitely an awesome performance by a, a scrappy team very young scrappy team so what's the expectation though like what's the ceiling we brought in kenny brooks we pay him a decent amount of money to be the coach here we've gotten to that ncaa tournament broke in the streak, gotten the monkey off the back is that the expectation like perennial ncaa tournament contender perennial acc contender kind of the name is the men's side
1: Yeah, I I think that going into next year, they're both in the same boat. I think they both need to make the NCAA tournament. Um, Kenny has been very active in the transfer portal throughout his tenure at Tech, so it wouldn't surprise me if there were a few more additions. But I think the team is good enough. I think they're returning enough talent. Elizabeth Kitley is one of the best players in the conference, even though she got taken out of her element against Baylor, who, like you mentioned, Andrew, Baylor's just different there's there's only a few teams in 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 women's basketball that are like Baylor um so Elizabeth didn't look all that great in that game and Tech obviously got blown out of the water but given all the players that Kenny has brought in given his track record of getting the best out of his girls I would be kind of surprised if they don't make the NCAA tournament next year um I'm not saying they have to win a game again next year, but they need to at least get to the dance again. Because again, that's how you show that you're making progress and then you're sustaining that progress and that it's not just a one-off.
0: All right. All right. Thank you for your perspective, man. But let's switch over to the gridiron where people are pissed. Spring game canceled.
1: (laughs) That's one way of putting it.
0: (laughs) Yes. The people are not happy. Virginia tech, Just literally about an hour before Ralph Northam comes out and says that all outdoor events can be extended to uh, 30% capacity, which in Lane Stadium perspective is a little over 19,000 people. Just cancel the game altogether. They're not going to play it. They're not going to put it on TV. People can't come. No spring game at all. In my eyes, this is a weak move. They were playing games in the heat of the pandemic when the case numbers were going up and up and up every day. They showed that the games could be played. Today, vaccinations are on the rise. I was vaccinated just last week. Case numbers plummeting. And to just go and outright cancel this game in a program where a lot of familiar names and faces are going to be gone next season. There's a lot of questions. I think people... To get excited about this team, want to get a peek of what it will look like, and to just outright scrap it, I think it's bad marketing, and for an athletic department that could use some money, whether it be from TV revenue or ticket
1: sales, it's bad business. So I'm going to approach this conversation staying as far away from the politics of it as possible, because I understand that. COVID has become an extremely politicized issue, and um, it's almost impossible to stay away from that and avoid talking about it when you're, when you're addressing the pandemic. But let's go ahead and, and discuss it. So, Andrew, you're right. People are getting more vaccinated more and more on a daily basis. Um, I'm 26, and I just got my email to schedule an appointment yesterday. So I'm working on getting one that fits in with my work schedule um cases are going down the governor has decided to make outdoor gatherings a bit easier to happen and like you said Andrew people people's no joke um, I think that's actually kind of close to where tech is generally for spring games I'm wrong um because about- I I know that they usually, uh, yeah, I, I know that they usually keep everyone in the lower bowl, but anyway, the spring game is a glorified scrimmage. That's exactly what it is, and guess what? Nobody cares. The, the whole point of spring game is not that it, it that you get the most out of it on the practice field. The idea of a spring game has always been you, you, you sell concessions, you get people excited about the program, you get people coming to the town, you build on – people's want and need for football to come back. You build on that and drive into the summer with something that's fun for the fan base. And I wasn't really surprised that tech didn't televise the game because they've never televised the game under Justin Fuente. But I was pretty disappointed that they decided to cancel the game. Um, I know that that decision came probably from higher up in terms of the board of the board of directors and, um sands and and with babcock i'm sure justin fuente's advice was taken into account as well but um i i I don't agree with the decision i think they should have played the spring game i think they should have allowed um a a season ticket holders maybe only to come so that way you can limit it a little bit because obviously you can't just invite everyone to show up and next thing you know for a spring game like this, you very well may have 45,000 people standing outside lane stadium wanting to get in. Right. Cause people, people want to get back. It, yeah. People are desperate. So th- I think they could have found a way to make this happen. And I think the fact that they didn't do that shows me that the, the, the decision-making process was not what steps do we need to take to make this happen? And all, are we just not able to do it or um, what excuses can we find to make sure this doesn't happen? And personally, that's how this felt to me. I very well could be wrong, but I think tech was using all of the, the logistical issues that would come with it as a reason to say, well, we really don't want to have this anyway. There are a lot of pro, a lot of hoops we would have to jump through in order to execute this so we're better off just not having it that's how it felt to me
0: yeah i mean it's for me it just seems like a weak move i mean a lot of excitement here in blacksburg is surrounded around what's going on across the street from lane stadium at the baseball field at english field union park people are excited to be back in the stands and you know i i we can argue about the expectations for Virginia Tech football all you want, but one thing I've told people, when it comes to this pandemic, when it comes to what sports will look like six months from now, I think Tech could still be pretty bad, and Lane could get pretty good attendance. I think people just want to do Yeah, things like things there, to there's do. no
1: reason, there's no reason that Lane isn't 95 plus percent full next year. I mean, th- there is so much pent up economic demand and that demand you can extrapolate that to all of society people are people have this pent up demand to go do things they want to go to bars they want to go to restaurants they want to go to water parks they want to go to sporting events they want to do all this stuff and even if they have to go to lane stadium and watch a team who might miss a bowl game i don't think tech fans care I think they just want to go to Lane Stadium, enjoy football with their friends on a beautiful October afternoon, maybe maybe get a little drunk in, in Lot 1 or Chicken Hill or wherever the hell it is you're at, and enjoy a football game and then go downtown afterwards. I think that's what most people want at this point. No, I don't think sure. they care if the team is any good at this point. They just want to go watch football. And yeah, I man. think there is a there was a pathway for Virginia Tech to do this, that would have worked, number one. I think they would have executed it successfully. And two, I think the benefits of it would have been felt for months because I I think it would have gone a long way in showing the fan base that they are committed to building that emotional connection. And i tell you what, I think that this offseason so far, Tech's PR has been pretty good in terms of getting these assistant coaches in and allowing fans to hear from them directly. Mm -hmm. That's been one of the best improvements that Tech has made in a long time in, in their marketing and public relations side. They deserve a ton of credit for listening to people and making those changes. And I think that having a spring game would have built on that momentum, and instead you're kind of halted. Yeah,
0: no, for sure. It's kind of the perception is reality thing
1: because whether it's true or not, it perception just is always uh, reality. Justin Fuente's
0: program is shrouded in secrecy. You know, I don't even want to call it stereotype, but perception that has been held by this fan base over the course of the last four or five seasons. And I, you know, yeah, maybe it'd be sort of hard to pull off, and it would be a lot of work on the end of the athletic department.
1: You don't even need absolutely. To let it would not have been easy. It like would said, not have like, been easy, but this but this process could have started a month and a half ago, and, and, and they could have said, all right, how, how do we keep a lot of people from showing up since we have to have a limited capacity anyway? There are ways to do that. Pre-sale. Limiting attendance to season ticket holders, limiting attendance to specific season ticket holders, all of those things could have been done in order to keep a lot of people from congregating at Lane Stadium.
0: Yeah, no, and and it can be done very simply. And here's a criticism just because I have a microphone and I can say it. The Virginia Tech baseball, (laughs) their thing is first come, first serve, like first 500 fans. Well, you know, I have friends in Richmond or friends in Roanoke who are like, I am so dying to go to a live sporting event. And I miss Virginia Tech so much that I will drive down for a baseball game. But I'm not going to drive down if there's a chance that I get halted at the door for 500 because I'm not one of the first 500 people plus. Yeah. On top of that, in theory, if there were to be a really important game and you know, you're know you trying to social distance or whatever, and then you have 1,000 people show up outside the stadium at one time all crowded trying to get tickets, it doesn't seem like a good idea either. Just saying. But yeah, the game should have been played. And if you're not going to play the game, why not? Just play a spring game and put it on ACC Network. I'm sure ACC Network would air it. They're they're, they're dying for content. You ever watch ACC Network?
1: Like they would totally be down to do it. Yeah, the, the ACC Network someday. now is, is promoting a John Swafford special, which generated quite the quite the eye roll think, from one from yeah, Ricky LeBlou.
0: That is just <laughs> a whole lot of irony packed in, in, into one set. Yeah, I it really
1: is. It really is. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would have made excellent TV content. Um, give the fans something. I think, give something. I, I think the spring game should be televised every year. I don't think it would affect attendance at the spring game. One iota. I think you would still have a ton of people to show up in a normal year. Um, but it is disappointing. I'm hopeful that tech continues to make more players and more assistance available on a regular basis. I think that is a positive move. I hope they show more of these, of these scrimmages. I know they're just going to show highlights. They're not going to show you specific plays. But th- this is all a part of the marketing brand that you have to create, and there are smart people over there. I know, I know a lot of people are critical of tech's public relations and marketing, but there are some smart people over there. They know they're what they're doing. They're, they're good people. They're capable of, of, of putting out quality content that fans can enjoy. And I'm hopeful that they build on the momentum that they've created so far by making people like J.C. Price, John Tenuta, Bill Tierlink, uh, Justin Hamilton, Brad Cronelson, Jafar Williams, all these guys available. Doing that has been a very, very positive move, and it's been well-received by the fan base. Indeed. Indeed, Ricky. I mean, again, I
0: just don't understand. Like, I think you should let people in the stands. I, that is my that is my opinion. You can disagree with me if you want. You, at that point, you're disagreeing with Ralph Northam, which I have done plenty of times before. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I think people should be allowed in the stands. But if you're going to take that hard line stance, your players are scrimmaging anyway. You have the ACC network facility within Lane Stadium. Put lays and burn up on the call. Bro Evan Hughes on the sideline. Shout out Evan. I love you, buddy. And just put the game on television so people can see something. We just need the fans are just itching for something. In a normal spring, fans are itching for football. And, and right now in this pandemic year, I mean, you know, how excited were you to watch these March Madness games, right?
1: Just just watching sports in general for the past 10 months has been cathartic in a way. I mean, all of our lives have been affected by this in one way or another, some more than others. And um, my life certainly has not been affected a ton by this, but um, we've we'll, we all been impacted by the shutdowns and the virus and everything that comes with it. So we're, we're so close to getting through this as a, as a society that we can all taste it. We know it's there. We know the end is coming, and we're all ready to get there, and – there is reason to, you know, not entirely just jump full throttle there now, but I think it's I think there there are a lot of people being overly cautious at this point. And I understand that you you know better safe than sorry, and that's usually a pretty good phrase. My mom says it all the time. But in this kind of situation, I think we are getting to the point where we can start to let up on some things. And people can start to experience life as it was before all this happened. Yeah, no, for
0: sure. I mean, I I'm, I'm just a
1: data-driven guy. And
0: I, I say, look at the data, look at what we've learned. Ricky, I mean, think about it, just a year ago, li- little I think it was a year ago yesterday or something, because I was looking at my uh, my Snapchat memories and I, I had posted it on Snapchat. The Snapchat was it was Zoom with you and Mike, and it was things you can do while social distancing. Keep up with your podcast. Now, remember that podcast was, oh my God, here's coronavirus, and we knew nothing about it. We thought this could be a disease that kills 10 percent of the population for all we knew with the data that we had at the time. And thank the Lord that is not the that was not the situation. It's still a terrible thing. It it, it is a human tragedy that this virus has, you know, struck society and struck the human race and. We'd all be much better off without it. There's no doubt about it. I don't want to minimize it in any way. But with vaccinations on the rise, with what we've learned about transmission, that you can do outdoor things and, you know, make everyone wear a mask. I'm not against that. Make everyone wear a mask. Wear a mask. I mean, I don't care. If that's what it takes to get people in there, I just think, and me and my friends always use this metaphor here in Blacksburg. They pack 100 people into the little farmer's market here in Blacksburg. You can distance people so much more in Lane Stadium. Lane Stadium is huge. You can do thousands of people. And if you don't want to do all 20,000, if you don't want to do all 30%, to make it easier for yourself, go ahead and do that. But give, especially the season ticket holders and the diehards that support this program, they're itching for it. There's nothing, I mean, there's nothing personally as a massive, you know, supporter of the program, a person who's basically professional life revolves around the program. There's nothing I want to do more than be back in that stadium to be around the people I love. And I think it's doable at this point. And in my opinion, it's a shame that not only can we not do that, but there's no consolation prize either.
1: Yeah. And we'll have to see how the rest of the spring goes. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot for us to talk about, but not having spring game to look forward to for the second straight year definitely sucks.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. But, uh, you know, while we're on the topic of COVID, I just got to give a shout out to our boy Jeremy Counts over at Main Street Pharmacy. Never seen the guy work harder my the entire time I've known him. He is day and night working his butt off to vaccinate people at the pharmacy. He, he's doing an excellent job. And in a period of time over the past 365 plus days where we have been honoring healthcare workers, got to give respect to our boy Jeremy Counts, not just because he pays us, and not just because he's my friend, but truly because, you know, it, it's a grind and you, you kind of have to put others above yourself in that situation. He's absolutely doing that. So shout out to our boy, Jeremy.
1: Definitely. And for all those people that um, are struggling with this, whether it be physically or mentally, hang in there. We're almost done with it. We're going to keep creating content for you here on the pod that, you know, hopefully, is an hour or so 45 minutes to an hour of a you know a bit of a break from all the rest of the world and Mm. um i'll make you laugh by saying stupid stuff andrew will get in his radio voice and sound like a pro and mike will come on whenever the hell he gets back on the pod and be an absolute total degen and everything will be great
0: I can't, I can't hate on Mike for not being here because I just straight up skipped last
1: week. So it's, uh, One day, one day we'll put that story out. I, know, it's I mean, it's not like, it like a crazy story, but it's a funny story. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs>
0: kidding. All right, Ricky, got anything to add before we uh, wrap this bad boy up?
1: Rate, review, subscribe, go listen yeah. to Andrew on ESPN Blacksburg. Um, I've been writing a lot of stuff for our old pal, Dave at Dulles District. Um, He's generating quite a following over there. It's kind of fun. Uh, Dave writes all sorts of fun stuff about his dog, about sports, about food. Of course, he's Italian, so of course he's big into food. Um, Go follow Mike's stuff, wherever the hell it is he's writing these days. I feel like Mike's writing for like six different outlets. Um, But yeah, rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you think. Tweet at us. Let you know what you think of the pod. And... um, If you're able to and you feel comfortable with it, go get vaccinated. Yep. No, certainly. I got vaccinated.
0: Ricky's about to get vaccinated. If that's what you're into, I highly recommend it. Light at the end of the tunnel, that'll speed it up. Uh, Yeah, but shout out to Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts, our boy. Uh, Otherwise, yep. Mike will be back. Sunsaturday.com, 17 fucking podcasts. (laughs) I don't know how the man sleeps at night. I really don't
1: dude dude is everywhere man he is he he is he is so many places and it's getting kind of hard to keep track so i just kind of stopped i'm like all right he's he's writing at tons of places go follow him on Twitter. we even changed his twitter handle now so i can't just say mike mcdaniel bt now it's mike mcdaniel sos you're welcome mike like jeez Mike
0: mcdaniel sos as paul says every time he comes on the radio mike are you in trouble do you need us to come help you i have called the coast guard <laughs>
1: He should have thought about that before he did it. <laughs> could have just wrote
0: sons, but it's okay, Mike, we forgive you.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he we'll, could have done a lot of things,
0: but we'll be back. I like my own idea of bringing Dave back on the pod. I think that, I think that it has to happen soon.
1: I do. Uh, but we'll oh, be back. it will. It will for sure. I know, I know Dave's very opinionated. Oh
0: yeah. No, I, I, would love to hear it from him. I absolutely love to hear it from him. So uh, yeah, me and Ricky out for the day. We'll be back probably next week realistically speaking, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. There's always a lot to talk about. You guys on the the Twitter world, keep us uh, on our toes. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) But until then, everyone stay safe. Again, light at the end of the tunnel. Go Hokies, my friends.